Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is McEnroe, a.k.a. Rod Bailey, and this is the Peanuts and Corn 2020 podcast, and I think this is episode 21, and we're nearing the end of this series, and I'm really excited for who I have with me today, all the way from Saskatoon, Manitoba. His name is, <laughs> he, you know him as So-So, uh, Troy Gronsdahl. And I want to know, so-so, how do I spell so-so? Do I go capital S, little o, or, or is it all lowercase? Or what's the official official? Because I've kind of lost the plot. A bit like uh, McEnroe, it was like an all lowercase situation. Yeah, cool. But then people do it however they want to do it. And I decided it was just like not worth like getting yeah. stressed about it. Exactly. So, and you also are suffering because I've been doing my research recently and I've been, I've been, you're suffering from other people called so-so on the streaming services, as I suffer from other people called McEnroe on the streaming services, as my buddy John Smith suffered from other people called John Smith on the streaming services. Must be frustrating. Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of funny too, when they bring up your discography and it has like either like some techno band or some like weird like metal band or some Korean music or what it is. It's all mixed in there. Well, it's great to have you and great to see you. We were just uh, catching up before we hit record. And um, we haven't seen each other in at least 15 years, how we figure <laughs> it. Um, so I really want to dig in because the whole point of this episode, I want to spend some time on your career. But I also want to thread through how important, because this is this podcast was started to, to talk about Peanuts and Corn, the label, and sort of be an oral history. And, and so Saskatoon, Manitoba is a very important element of peanuts and corn, and it kind of really made it possible for us to to grow, I think, as a label and as a bunch of musicians. And uh, so I really want to dig into the history of you and your buddies. You know, we'll get into all those people in Saskatoon while going through some of this catalog and all this stuff. So I just want to thank you for taking the time to start out. Thank you and welcome you to the show. Thanks, yeah. I've been uh, following along and pretty excited to be uh, part of your series. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I want to start with my first experience in Saskatoon uh, as far as a musician and see how it threads with you guys getting started. Because basically, we the first time we played Saskatoon was at a festival. I think it was called Green Fields or something like that. In two, it was in 1995. It was with a whole bunch of punk bands, including Red Fisher, and um, uh, I don't even know. There's a huge list. I put it on Instagram of all these punk rock bands, and then there's a weird group called Farm Fresh. We played, and um, a whole bunch of people came up to us after and said they really liked it. But then we came back, I think, the next year or so, and then we started to meet you guys. So when did you kind of get started with hip hop and and being a fan and or making music? In the, it would have been, I feel like, around that time, like in the mid to late 90s. Is that right? Yeah, so I graduated high school in like 1993. Uh, I went to a pretty small rural school uh, in, in Clovet, Saskatchewan, kind of near Saskatoon. I think I had 28 people in my graduating class. So uh, I was very uh during like when you're a teenager you know you're kind of trying to find your identity and um uh trying to find something to kind of like latch on to or like something that kind of resonates with you so I, I i really somehow fell in love with like rap music hip-hop music 
as a teenager, but didn't really have much access to the, to like the culture or, you know, I didn't really, I had a very, kind of a vague understanding about it formed yeah. through like reading magazines and like listening to CDs that I could get, which were very limited, you know, like, like NWA records and, you know, like kind of early stuff like that. Yeah. So I didn't really, I, I was sort of, I was definitely like looking at it from sort of this kind of tourist, touristy kind of like, you know, kind of a poorly formed understanding about like rap music and hip hop in general. Um, but after I graduated high school, I kind of met people that were a little more involved in like sort of DJing and uh, I started DJing in 1995. Okay. That's when I kind of started to learn more about the music and like develop a just a more a better formed kind of understanding about hip hop culture and kind of building out a network of friends and people that kind of knew more than I did and could kind of like bring me into it a little bit more. So around that time, you guys were playing. Uh, I was actually at that festival. Oh, you were? Uh, yeah, DOA was there, and oh, I think. I think I actually got drunk most of the time just at the campsite and I saw a DOA and that was about it. But my <laughs> brother saw you guys. He was kind of fronting on you guys though. Oh, who wouldn't? <laughs> but um, I think Joss Ives was, uh, was at that and he, he uh, had a radio station, a uh, radio show on the community radio in Saskatoon. That's and I think right. he, he was sort of our first kind of connection with you guys, I think, because he was an engineering student, I think. Uh, loved hip hop music, had this community radio show. And I think maybe you guys kind of like formed a kind of connection. I think that's right. I think it was Joss who would have pulled us back because I think we came back maybe a year later, um, either 96 or maybe 97. Um, we came back. And also what was funny was I think Joss was a rep for Beat Factory for, for a minute. Mm. And I was as well in Winnipeg. I was the Winnipeg rep which means i got a free record bag that's what i got for it and a copy of <laughs> beat factory rap essentials volume one and i think he got the same thing yeah. so somehow we connected and he got us a show i don't even remember where but our first show and i didn't even know what he looked like right so i remember walking in and I'm walking into the place and there's a kid there with silver hair and mm -hmm. uh and it was so it was epic Oh yeah, him that day, <laughs> and then I kind of met all you guys around that time. We're probably ninety. I guess that would be ninety-seven. I want to say. Yeah, we, I think it was ninety-seven with free me. show. Yeah, we did tour. That sounds right. And, and and met you guys, and and the welcome we got was um, was unreal. Just the enthusiasm from. I mean, that's what everyone says about playing Saskatoon. It's just like enthusiasm but meeting you guys and how into so many different things you were and it was like i don't remember you know i don't remember the exact timing but it's like this group the nonce you they're the best group ever like somebody <laughs> somebody being like the best the best rap of all time is the nonce it's like the yeah. nonce not tribe called quest not deal yeah. but the nonce <laughs> okay cool like just such a yeah. such weird cool enthusiasm like that mix of like I don't know, some weird shelteredness, I guess. I don't know, but you guys have the same TV we did, and I don't know. I don't, I don't know what it was. Yeah, but. yeah, it's kind of, uh, I think uh, because of the size of the city, um, there wasn't like a pre, uh, an already established kind of like rap scene or like hip hop scene. Yeah. And so I think we felt like um, 
we could kind of build it based on our own interests and kind of of our own design, which is kind of, I think, something that's unique to this place because, um, you know, back then, as you would, as you remember, probably like people didn't really like hip hop music. Like you're a bit of an outsider if you listen to it in high school. Yeah. And um, so when you found somebody else who like loved it as much as you did, you kind of form these like tight relationships and um, we were all kind of keen to like make stuff happen and try to like build a scene. And it was through like, uh, like community radio. So like CFCR, um, the, uh, the hip hop show uh, back then, I think it was called Trunk of Funk. Joss, uh, Joss can, uh, founded the show. Yeah. And then he brought um, Chaps in on it, and it's kind of continuing now. It's third verse, but you know that's been a, an ongoing kind of fixture of like our prairie rap right. uh, world, I would say. Um, but so stuff like that. So we have community radio. We're making mixtapes. We're throwing shows and um, kind of starting to make our own music a little bit, which was really kind of nice timing because um, when you guys roll through town. Um, it was nice to meet like a kind of like a group of people with like similar interests uh but kind of like you guys had already been like kind of a little more established so um it was kind of cool for us i think to sort of have kind of like a model almost so, yeah or like you know it, having um having you guys kind of roll through town kind of made uh making hip-hop music in saskatoon seem more plausible somehow so yeah it's like like yeah you know like these guys are figuring it out and doing it you know kind of gave us some encouragement to to you realized that we were just doing doing it all on our own and and it wasn't that hard and and you'd just ask questions and just be like oh fuck i want to do this oh i asked you so many questions do you remember that oh yeah i love it love it because that's because i was all into that so when you'd be like where do i get this made or how do i do this or what it's like yeah that's like my passion and it's something that happy to to talk about so i want to get into you starting to actually make music and um deciding to uh do your first record as so so Mm -hmm. um so where so i'm gonna play this song why don't we play the song first which uh according to discogs came out in 2000 this Mm -hmm. is your first uh ep that was on vinyl was it just on vinyl or did you do cd as well uh did sort of like a handmade limited edition oh, cd yeah that. yeah um but yeah the the vinyl was kind of like uh i wanted to kind of introduce myself on vinyl as sort of like uh being serious about it and so yeah and certainly nothing says you're serious like like vinyl especially at that time and mm-hmm. so this this came out but it may be and so it's it's close to maybe being the first time that john smith's on vinyl because we did a record with John Smith as Park Lake setting. He was he was in my fold kind of around 99, and he was on like the Fermented Reptile record. But I don't know when we put out our 12-inch and whether maybe yours came out first. His first appearance might be on your record and not mine. But uh, let's check this song out. This is called Drink with John Smith, a.k.a. Bazooka Joe. This is So-So. Do I drink? Kids to sell the soul. Don't, 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 don't
that's getting played out. How many clowns must I lay out? Before you realize, check your toward the shell, kids to sell the soul. Don't ever around. That's getting played out. That's getting played out. On all fours on the floor, feeling for the fine line between use and abuse. I can't tell if I passed it. Terrified to find it. Twelve steps never felt so far, so here I suffer with the bad hangover and the cure worse than the disease. A commitment I'm not prepared to make. Medicate the symptoms up the intake of acetaminophen. My numbing drugs deny everything. Indulge in self-destructive vice, enticed by the brown bottle, following my father's footsteps. Settle in the same habits. Patterns of behavior seeking solace in the bottom of a glass Savor the sweet poison Suspension of reality, I'll drink to that Always keep a bottle stash for times of need Keep one on me at all times Keep one in the glove box, one in the dresser with the socks Locks on the liquor cabinet, compromise more times than the moral code Relieved of contents and get loaded Stagger to the store for cigarettes and mix Debit card rejected, put it on the visa Throw in the wedges and the cheese sticks Lost my keys on the way home Cut my hand on the damn window mm. Woke up for work sick and tired Drag my ass into the office The boss says, you're fired You're fired Kids for the shell Kids to sell the soul Don't F around that's getting played out. How many clowns must I lay out? Before you realize, check gets for the shell, kids to sell the soul. Don't F around. That's getting played out. It's a goddamn shame. I don't know what it means to die. I don't know if I can live dry, liver tried, kidney trauma, mind infected with addiction, watch my body waste, inflict the pain upon the people that I hold dearest, it's almost masochistic, act to feed the yearning, the empty hunger rumbles in my sick and twisted brain, another drink, another drink, I never drink before noon, it used to be, but why confine consumption to a clock, hell, I'll do it when I want, spoken as if I had a choice, huh, this thing has robbed me of my voice, and my sovereignty, and my dignity, and one day, I wake up in a chair smelling of pee and puke, alcohol-induced amnesia. When I walk, it's easy to hear me coming because of the clinking bottle caps in my pockets. I'm a smug prophet, enlightening any willing to listen As I'm bullshitting over my shoulder while I'm pissing With a pinner hanging off of my lip in a vague description Of how to view the human condition with some clarity Strip away the inhibitions and chip away at that omniscient facade Plod aimlessly If you're a shameless clod, we'll get along famously I'll call you chum and pally only cause your name escapes me You watch for the cavalry while I scrape these coins off of the bottom of the fountain Count until we get the dollar amount we need to score a box of hawk collar Then back to the dingy squalor of my room Where we'll crawl around on the floor after our haulers beckon the cops to bang on the door Kids to sell the soul. Don't, 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 don't F around. 
that's getting played out. How many clowns must I lay out? Before you realize, check this hard as hell, kids to sell the soul. Don't that for round, that's getting played out. It's a goddamn shame. That is uh, Drink featuring John Smith. That is So-So from the Sour Sweet. That is from my copy off vinyl, which I ripped over uh, over the quarantine period. I ripped my entire record collection, and there was the uh, Sour Sweet. I think it didn't have... Did it have a label? It had no label or something? No. It was really minimal. sticker on it. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty... So you down. press that up, and you're like, I'm here. I'm here. I'm real. And yeah. uh, Closed Horse Records was born. Yeah, that was the first hip hop record ever released in the province. Yeah, I can believe it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, so it felt like a bit of a bit of a landmark Absolutely. for me. Even if it was sort of like those early days when you go back and listen to your stuff and think about your delivery or you know sure. some of those things that are kind of a little bit unformed still. But yeah, I thought Joe like did a real awesome verse on that. He came, I remember him coming to my apartment and uh, I just had a, this like Radio Shack mic basically yep. set up in the living room. And uh, yeah, I remember him also being like, I didn't realize this was going to come out on a record. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I thought he had a good verse on that. And so you recorded it in your apartment and yeah. um, how? You, what are you making beats on, on a computer? Um, I had an S nine hundred. Oh, okay. And uh, uh, this this dude in North Balliford actually kind of like put me on to sort of a production method that I used for quite a few years. He um, used the S nine hundred and then um, used Cubase with a, an Atari computer. So yeah, these early Ataris had like a built in MIDI. Yeah. Um, so they were kind of popular with composers, and I just lucked out and found one in Saskatoon and uh, used so sequenced the, the beats out in Cubase uh, using the S900 as sort of the sampler and then I kind of dump them track like I record sort of the stems or whatever I go like yeah. track by track into a cool edit and uh, sort of mix it on the computer oh right on yeah um, so you put the record out and uh so did you what did you do with it did you mail it to a bunch of people or yeah i think i did actually like um i sort of i must have like a similar kind of like organizational like temperament or like interest that you do where i like wanted to do things like like i'll write the right way yeah whatever that was so i was yeah. like like yeah i'm gonna make it i remember how Close Horse Records in 1999, I like registered it as like a business or something. Yeah. And I like made a business card and I like paid for like a box office number. Nice. And like, so I'm like, this is an official like entity, which is kind of laughable in its own little way because it's kind of cute, really. Yeah. Um, so I had my box office number. I had my like, I had my business card in my record. So I think I like, I think I sent it around to maybe because like having you as a resource, but then also having like, uh, like Joss and chaps and like friends in like kind of the college radio thing. 
the internet was just starting to like percolate a little bit you bet yeah um there were actual like places to send it and like some outlets to kind of like share it with plus at that time it was like i don't know i don't know if you got the same kind of bump but like there was a moment where um the more obscure you were like it was sort of like the more appealing you you were in some way so mm-hmm. like um being from some super unexpected kind of geographically isolated small canadian city had like some kind of like cachet in the independent rap world yeah well i think you know from my perspective i think you got that because you're like and also your sound i think is more out there than mine was so i mean when i put out a record you know i put out the ethics ep but i think it was trying to be more mainstream rap than the sour sweet i don't know if you'd agree but you know you have more you it's funny because you just have such a defined sound that has evolved but right from the get-go you you know you're not far off you can say all you want about like oh you know the beats are less evolved and they're more simple and your delivery but it's like your sound from day one is pretty much your sound you know mm-hmm. and um and so it's like that I think would definitely work in in that it's completely different. You know, I just think I listen to mine and it's like I have a sound, but I was much more influenced by what I wanted to sound like that existed. You know what I mean? Where when I listen to yours and I'm like, when you make beats like this, what are your what are you trying to sound like? What is your influence? Right. You know, and I kind of say the same thing to Gumshoe, where it's like I I almost want to know what like what was in the tape deck to make you make this right when you did this right and then after like as later it's like you're making now it's like muscle memory and you know what you do and how you do it but when you first do that i made this beat and i chopped up this acoustic guitar and i made these drums yeah what what was bumping in the tape deck to make you make it sound like that you know right well i was yeah because like i started djing and making beats before i ever considered like rapping yeah um, so there's like a certain kind of comfort in like producing and DJing, right? Because you can like, you basically are like, uh, you're kind of like, you can stand behind someone else's music in a way. So yeah. it's more about like the selections you make or like maybe how you like put together a beat. But, uh, you know, it's, you're kind of insulated from like vulnerability because it's not your voice and it's not your like music really in, yes. a, in a strange way. So, um, but like making beats, I think um, my kind of logic around it, I think, was like, you know, thinking about uh, all my favorite American producers. You mentioned that you had like Primo as like a, as a real inspiration. Obviously, like I fucking love it, Primo. Um, but thinking about like sort of the American kind of hip hop producers that I liked, I kind of thought like they're just drawing from like records like in their environment kind of right so yeah. like you know they got their uncle's record collection they're going to like flea markets or whatever the kind of music they have access to is sort of like yeah. american it's american music so like here in saskatoon it's like what am i flipping through when i'm at the record store and the dollar bins you know it's like there's a lot of folk music there's lots of like different kind of sounding stuff like it's not it's not packed full of like awesome like soul records or yeah you know no james brown 
No, so I'm like, I felt like I was working with material that was kind of like uh, specific to like my region in a way. Yeah. And I kind of had an ear for, I think I have a good ear for melody. So like, I'd like to, you know, grab something would kind of move me. Like maybe it had like a kind of mood or like uh, a nice melody. And then I kind of, that's kind of build it around that. But I also had like, you know, we, you were talking about rules and like I had my own rules that were like kind of, uh, kind of funny because like here I am um, trying to make something really specific to like my experience and my region and yeah. all that but I still like I would not like I, I refuse to have like an, un, like an unquantized beat right like because it used to irritate me when I was mixing records and like a DJ would put like a little like swing on the snare or whatever so it doesn't like so you can't like blend two songs together perfectly and I was like in retrospect, I'm like, who's going to be mixing this into a tape or a, like a live set, you know? Well, that's funny because it's like, you know, like I've done songs where I sample a drum break, you know, and of course that's just a human and it's going to be off or on depending on how. Mm-hmm. Or I chop or whatever, but it seems like you, so you're saying you've always chopped pretty much. Yeah, yeah, always. Right. right. It's just sort of how I learned. Uh, but yeah, I just, I think that might have been sort of the, what was happening to at that time yeah i was I mean, certainly that, that's the premiere like everything is chopped and i hear that like you've taken it but but embraced like you say embraced what you could get locally and what is central to you which i mean you know for me it was like when i first started sampling it was like what's in my parents record collection oh it's the police and it's <laughs> the doors and all this yeah. kind of stuff and so i tried that and then and then as we listened you know tyler and i both went through this whole journey together and it was like and then as we learned more and more then we were sampling anything and everything but we were heavily influenced like you say by the american producers and we were trying looking for those records same records and have a lot of them and all that kind of stuff and i like what you say where you just embraced what you could get in the pawn shops in saskatoon yeah um i mean i also i mean to can to be fair i like sampled like a lot of cti records you know like yeah i definitely like I was drawn to that too but i think maybe it was more for my own stuff that it kind of like seemed like it'd be a little more specific or regional or something um so you put out the sour suite and then i talked about the silver head haired kid yeah. um and so you started working with epic talk a bit about him and him his place in the crew like when did he kind of was yeah. he along the ride all along or um yeah, sort of. I mean, Epic. Epic was like a little bit older than all of us. Yeah. So he's he sort of had like a little bit more, I'd say, like foundational knowledge than I did. Uh, he's like a huge fan of like hip hop music, so we were automatically kind of bonded over that kind of like shared love of it. We met through like, I think I was dating a girl who knew him, yeah. kind of thing. Um, and. Uh, and then, like, I kind of met Chaps. Uh, I think I might have met Chaps through Epic. Now that I think about it, but Epic was actually a really great connector. Like, um, he kind of still has that impulse. I think he's kind of working on some stuff now. But he was always about like uh, meeting new people and bringing people together. Yeah. So uh, I think it was through him that like I met Emphasis and Chaps and kind of like their little crew. Yeah. And it was through Epic that we met like Kaylee Aquanaut and like 
his kind of like crew and they were still in like high school i was recording k when he was 15. right and like you know so like epic was really good at like meeting meeting like folks and like kind of you could kind of like smell out like a similar interest or something and then like kind of bring people together and like he, he didn't bring too many like whack people into our lives which is nice like he only seemed to bring in people who like cared about it in the same way we did and so yeah he was a real real good builder and a connector he was like a dj uh i had i had turntables and he had records kind of thing so we, yeah we kind of play together he was like i hope he doesn't get offended but he was like a terrible dj <laughs> just brutal but when he'd like freestyle for us we were like this is the funniest most unique bizarre amazing kind of stuff you know like so we really encouraged him to like freestyle on his own mixtapes yeah like do verses and stuff like battle at shows and you know um so yeah i think we pushed him pretty hard actually to like to to make like take the mc part like really yeah. seriously yeah and so we we put out 830 in newfoundland as his like first uh first album and some of the homies are on that like some of the winnipeg guys that was 2001 so i guess we probably would have known you guys for couple yeah. of years anyway Pip, pips on it and uh shazam's on it and what gumshoes on it i think yeah yeah he's on it i uh, actually uh i actually confess i have a there's a beat on there with uh with the on it and it's uh it's basically like inspired slash maybe bitten from a mac and roll beat that used to play at live shows oh cool yeah Let's check it out yeah it's got a bass line it's like doo -doo 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 -doo. It's kind of like, I used to call it like the, like the Ripper. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know what song you mean. Yeah. So I kind of bit that. <laughs> sorry. Cool. No, don't be sorry. That's what it's all about, man. Um, <laughs> so I was going to play the song with Pip because it's a great song. But then I remember this song. And this song to me just typifies what makes Epic unique. And also what you're like, like to me, this is great production as well. Like I love this mm -hmm. song all around. Um, it's a love it or hate it thing. Like some people have heard this and have been like, this is, you know, <laughs> but I love it. I think it's great. Um, this is so, this is just the, this is this prairie rap sound to me. And so let's check it out. This is called Thought Process. I think it's the first song on 830 Newfoundland. This is Epic produced by Soso. It's a nice night, so I'm out for a walk With a Walkman on for 10 city blocks With barking dogs approaching in the distance I'm rapping to myself because nobody listens Or at least I mean, nobody's around No one makes a sound because I'm out for a walk On the side of town, over by Marquis Downs Three blocks away from the exhibition grounds And I wanna do some thinking like when I used to truck drive And understand my thought process like box 65 I arrive at my destination carrying a load of cargo The safety inspectors got me 10 miles north of Fargo North Dakota, over the mountains and up counting The distance I've traveled till we reach the border And I'm starting to stress cause my papers aren't in order I'm doing a lot of thinking to get my life in order I'm doing a lot of living to get my thinking in order I'm doing a lot of living to get my thinking in order These are my thoughts, yo I get sick and tired of all the bullshit 
of others These are my thoughts Yo, I can carry the weight of a whole city on my shoulders I jump into a cab to take a trip uptown We can travel through my thoughts and try not to get lost Now I've paid the cost for sleeping in class What goes through my mind waiting for the microphone to pass I think about rhymes as I look at people Best believe I'm rapping as I look out the window At a newspaper by in front of a sky rise Wondering if it's his home as his eyes meet my eyes Which I can no longer see as the car stays in motion Seen on a storefront, forefront of a movement Relic of the past, I try not to ask Hands covered in blood from the breaking of the glass When I'm in and out of consciousness my mind works so fast When I'm in and out of consciousness my mind works so fast These are my thoughts, yo I get sick and tired of all the bullshit These are my thoughts, yo I like the chemicals that bring out the bright colors These are my thoughts, yo I leave my residence to be in the presence of others These are my thoughts, yo I can carry the weight of a whole city on my shoulders That is Thought Process. That's epic um, from 830 in Newfoundland, a legendary record. Um, and that was produced by So-So on Close Horse Records, C-H-R-O-O-2. So you, like yeah. me, got your shit together and got your catalog titles all dialed up. <laughs> the guy from Beat Factory said he wanted me as their rep because he liked how Peanuts and Corn had numbers on the spines of our tapes. I was like, great. <laughs> and all I got was this lousy bag. But... um <laughs> That song and that album is very, uh, very original. And um, I was looking on Discogs and it's going for $40 Canadian, but I'm not selling my copy, I tell you. <laughs> Do you have any copies? I've got a few. I think I may have five or four. Well, that's good. Yeah, I got a few things. Um, so that comes out. And um, how did it do for you guys? It did. It did really well. Like, I mean, um, like you said, like it's a epic is a real distinctive kind of sound, uh, so unique. It's and uh, I think it like uh, found like an audience like right away. Yeah. Um, it was just because it was I think so unique and uh, you know people were really like looking for sort of alternatives I guess and like kind of obscure strange sounding stuff and um i mean that is kind of a quintessential canadian prairie hip-hop record i think in um it's sort of unapologetically epic you know like um and i think 
you know, he was a bit polarizing. Like, you know, some some people just could not wrap their heads around it. You know, like they they couldn't believe that Epic's got shows and he's touring and that is like he's selling CD. Like people just some people just couldn't believe that. You know, um, but I think because he was so like unique and memorable and like unusual uh you found like a, a an audience i think who like really appreciated it yeah it was very you know as someone who spent way too much time online trying to you know interact with you know because we were selling records you guys are selling records a lot of our records are just selling on online websites and things like that like those were our markets either we would play these shows and sell to kids personally or but we weren't in the chains you know we're not in hmv for the most part so it's either that or in independent record stores or we're selling online. That's where really was taken off for us and for you at that time. So, you know, the talk about Epic was just like so crazy where people loved him, people hated him. And, you know, a lot of Canadian rappers would be like, you know, he's damaging, he's damaging. <laughs> like, you know, you hear that and if you hear that and you're from the States and you hear that and you're like, <laughs> that's what I thought Canadian rap would sound like. Like, you know what I mean? And it was like yeah. all these other rappers are like, hold on, I sound just like so and so. I sound like I'm from New York. Like, you know, yeah. it's not all like this. And it's, you know, I can sound unoriginal or whatever, right? I got flows. And so it was yeah. so funny. Yeah. I didn't really know where I, where I, <laughs> you know, where I, where I stood on it. I was kind of like, huh. I thought, I thought that, you know, like a whole bunch of stuff. Like, I thought, the packaging for 830 in Newfoundland was super good. Like you did the whole thing with the TV guide, which yeah. was instantly recognizable to anybody. And the whole, even the phrase for anybody who's Canadian is like, you know, eight o'clock, 830 in Newfoundland, like the damn half time zone thing. Mm -hmm. And so much of it, I just thought was great. And then listen to him. It's like, God, I don't know what I think. I knew that the, I liked, I thought the production was good. And obviously, like I say, everything was solid. And then Pip comes to me and he's like, yeah, I've got these beats by So-So for my record. This is Friends Forever. It's about the same time. Yeah. So we're doing a record called Friends Forever. And I got this guest spot with Epic. And I'm like, oh. So, you know, it's like one thing for this record to come out that doesn't affect me, like 830 in Newfoundland. Like, I think mm -hmm. I helped you sell a few copies, whatever. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, oh, we want to put this guy on my label now? <laughs> you know, that was like, there was a real moment where it's like, well, what are we going to, what am I, you know, am I, am I drawing the line or what's <laughs> happening here? So, and the whole thing with the Friends Forever record was like, it was such a mess as far as, it's the most messy record we've ever done. Because Pip and I were never in the same room through the making of that record. And he's like, I got records, I got, he's living in Halifax, he's dealing with you, you're sending him beats dealing with Grey Matter, dealing with whoever. He's got Recyclone on this record. He, then he's got Epic on the record. He's just sending me all this stuff. I'm trying to make it all fit. Yeah. You know? And it's kind of like just all getting jammed at me. And I'm like, uh, so, yeah. So that, it's kind of an atypical like McEnroe kind of project where it doesn't, I guess the the only way it hangs together is that it doesn't really hang together, kind yeah, of like it doesn't hang together um, at all. It's, it's so like you know, you got of the chaos of you know, yeah. and like to Pip's credit, he has you know when he's putting a record together, he has this vision and he sends you all the demos and it's like here's this goes here and this goes there and this sample goes here. Like he's very, he's got a vision, but in this case, it was just you know it was hard 
for our for a label whose sound is like you know basically it's trying to be cohesive it's the least cohesive mm -hmm. um but let's check the song out this is uh all up in this piece featuring epic and this is uh your beat um on friends forever and so you weren't in the room with them i wasn't in the room with them and uh but i don't even remember sending them the the like i must have sent them a cd or whatever i i have to say like Pip was always like quite open to collaborate, which was kind of cool. Yeah, kind of like epic, like you know, you just bring people together through through like music. So uh, he actually put me in touch with Recyclone. We did a project together when he was out in Halifax. So yeah, yeah. Shout out to Pat for like bringing people together. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, he went to Halifax. He made so many friends. I I understand it all. Like the song's called or the album's called Friends Forever, which <laughs> is not. I don't think it was in his intention as far as, but he has all his friends on the record. He's got his friends making the beats. He's made all these new friends in Halifax. They're all on all these songs. His old friends are on the record as well. His, you know what I mean? It's it's uh, definitely his most collaborative record. Mm. Uh, this is all up in this piece featuring Epic. Let's check it out. I can't read my writing. It's too light up here for some reason. To the social feeling anti-social obviously i didn't belong my song never came on and i won't prolong go on feeling lonely waiting for someone to phone me i'll email noski for some cynical suggestions he helps me know myself in this deep clinical depression i got too many questions up in my psychology so in him i confide despite colliding ideologies i'm offering apologies for bumping your arm i didn't mean to spill beer on your girl with all the problems that we have in this world would it make a difference if you punch me in the mouth after i beat you in a cypher don't try to decipher my freestyle rhymes because i keep them irrelevant i won't use this mic to say something stupid when i'm talking to girls all i really want in this life is respect from the bouncer is very exact I analyze people to see how they act it helps me separate the fiction from the fact and I'm out of whack bar and strip on in the woods wearing my wolf costume holding a basket with my court case spilling over the sides running a racket keeping the forest awake in the wake of my absurdity reaching this mass market only much music has never heard of me from Burnaby to Nunviet I stalk your city limits suggesting blood and guts with your coffee instead of sugar cream and Timbits scour the room of foggy eyes winking to the few in the know so we can go out back and smoke crack on death row and through my scan I see some folks too cool for their own good we went to school together they smell stale I smell like wood and having cut me down many times for this rap and acting strange now they're bald and or fat and work at corporate cash exchange so when they ask how I'm doing I smile and answer great and then ask Caddy Beal with a look like I curse their fate rule warrior of hate and I am totally thugged out rub your face in these pathetic choices and what your life is about the way my brain acts is out of my control as idiots dance to rap the new top 40 rock and roll in here high school never ends it just gets better with age graduate from Mustangs to minivans and road rage on the stage sure open lip syncing to Ricky Martin Send my compliments to your door with flaming shit in a milk carton Pardon me, I can't hear you over all this yellow tar I'm outside of this shitty bar and I'm keying your fucking car Keying your fucking car! Hey, man. Fucking right! <laughs> <laughs> 
It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, a good one. That is a classic, I guess. It's uh, Pip Skid all up in this piece featuring Epic, and that was a. There's been some moments um, in my career as a label guy slash the producer of the label slash best friends of all the talent, where there's been like, what do I do here? And most of them have been regarding Pat. Pat. Yeah. I don't know. There's been a few <laughs> others, but most of them have been like. So there was a real dilemma. That one was like, what do I think about Epic and his rapping? And am I okay with it? Do I want to put it on my label? Because it's one thing, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't mm-hmm. mind it. And I thought, and I knew him personally. I knew you guys. And it was like, I don't know any problem with that. But was I a fan of it? I don't know, you know. And, and I've come around on it much more since, you know, in the years after. And appreciate it much more and the originality and all that stuff. But at the time, I might have been one of those guys who's like, I'm trying to be, I don't want to wreck Canada have a bad name. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So yeah, we're... it's, uh, I mean, yeah. It's, it's, he was like, yeah, so polarizing. I, uh, I just like, I loved his sense of humor. Yeah. And, uh, his music is kind of implausible in a way. You know, I mentioned how like you guys made having a music career or, like, practice or career or whatever kind of like plausible. Yeah. He's like the implausible kind of like rapper. Like, uh, and I just, I think I found that like really appealing. Yeah. And at, and at the end of the day, friendship won out. We put it out and no <laughs> yeah. one ever gave me any shit for putting it out or any, no one ever, I don't recall anyone ever going kind of, yo, Macro, I can't believe you put her epic on or <laughs> Whatever, I never heard anything negative about it. So at the end, it was just, you know, spending too much time online, the 2001 edition. Um, yeah. <laughs> she got hectic in those days. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, again, it's like why, you know, the feedback mechanisms of making music at that time were, were all new as far as like we're playing shows and seeing fans we didn't even know existed, like, you know, coming to Saskatoon and seeing these kids that we didn't know existed and especially like 2001 going to like London, Ontario or wherever, Kelowna, BC. And it's like mm. playing that for the first time and seeing kids that didn't, we didn't know existed. And, and then going online and seeing people from all over the world react one way or another was, uh, you know, could really mess you up for sure. Um, so the Epic album comes out and, um, and you're just, uh, you're in the zone You've got Close Horse Records and your what else is going on? So you're working on your next record, which will play a song from. Were you producing anyone, anybody else that I'm forgetting about, or what else um, were you messing hmm. with? Yeah, I mean uh, those first few. Uh, I think I graduated university in 2001. Okay. So like you know when you're when you're in university, you have a lot of like unstructured time basically. So you're you've got times when you're like totally in the middle of something but you have a lot of like you get a lot of like time to work on your own stuff so I think having that kind of unstructured time helped me like that's when I learned about you know I learned how to DJ and I learned about production and I started the label and so I had all that time to kind of like build some kind of like uh build a a little bit of a foundation or something yeah and then I I think um I kind of got excited just to like keep doing stuff. It must have been like a good enough response. Um, there was enough kind of energy behind, like 
in it that uh, I wanted to keep going. Um, I really, uh, working with Epic drove me absolutely crazy. Yeah. But at the same time, like, he was, he would rap over anything I sent him, no matter, like, he liked kooky stuff and things that other MCs would pass on. He would like make into like a great song. Right. And um, I just, yeah, I really appreciated his like sense of humor and stuff like that. So like, I, I like the, I like, love the music that we made together. Um, so I think, I think because, you know, people were kind of starting to kind of, find their own feet so like you know factor was just a young kid at that point like yeah. pretty young but he was starting to kind of do some of his stuff and so like you know me and epic kind of teamed up for a few releases yeah. and i think the success maybe or like the 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 830 in in newfoundland record you know people started like maybe asking me for for beats and stuff because you know um I feel like Epic got like a lot of my best beats too. And so uh, people would hear his music and like reach out a little bit about production and stuff. So um, I was doing quite a bit of recordings too, like uh, in those early days. Um, I guess you probably had that role in when you guys were kind of getting going, but like that was also like something I did not enjoy. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, maybe just working with Epic was like sort of paring it down to like, you know, some you were recording every, amount. Like, like, yeah. You know, so it's like, I kind of had the setup. We had some, we were excited. We were learning, we were kind of making stuff. And so it's like, if anyone wanted to record anything, it's like ended up being up. in my place. Or what, yeah. So yeah. I think by, by this point I was sort of like, uh, getting a little more focused just to, for my own, like, you know, sanity it's really hard uh, uh, recording people is like so hard oh i mean like you had pat's like you had your head down in your arms like yeah when you're sitting at a computer listening to someone do the same verse over and over again for like an hour yeah it's exhausting just like staring into the screen well especially the if it's not, if, and if you're not a stakeholder in it like if you're recording <laughs> you know i didn't record very much of other people's stuff for them for other th reasons right you're it sounds yeah. like you're recording anybody who wants to just you know someone comes in here's the beat here where do i stand and you're basically just engineering that yeah sounds terrible <laughs> so, yeah so those kind of early days I, I i decided i think i wanted to get a little more focused so yeah so uh after 8 30 in newfoundland i guess i was working on birthday songs which is like my starting to kind of find kind of find my form a little bit you know starting to figure out maybe a little bit in terms of like direction for like content and stuff like that yeah getting a little bit more autobiographical or drawing a little bit more from my own history and stuff like that which i think partly i also credit to like going to art school because um that's the kind of stuff i was doing in art school so um kind of drawing from that i guess seemed um seem like the kind of right direction right uh well let's check this song out this is called pretty mound of dirt and this is from birthday songs and uh, i think it's like 2002 would it come out it sound about right mm -hmm. yeah all right here it is queen victoria 
My father and all his tobacco loved you and your perfect memory. I love you too in all your forms. not easy to forget it takes effort to remember i confess my memory is selective at best irresponsible at worst neglect inconvenient details and try not to hurt anybody skirt certain issues and pass the toilet tissues maybe i'm just digging up dirt it's not the i miss you's that goes without saying it's the other things left unsaid that feed the hungry mumblings in my head confront dreadful acts in the past i still love you and for every time I laughed at a racist joke I think of that hill That hill with a despicable name I choked on dusty country roads Searching for the same And some sort of revelation A feeling of hatred or disgust But nothing came It's just a hill Nigger's Knob is not unlike other hills I've seen But this is my hill My grandfather tilled the land and fed a family a hired hand, it's who I am and it haunts me, history taunts me with that word, waving it in my face like one of those absurd foam rubber hands, you were number one, and we're number one, and I'm just coming to terms with family germs, I got my father's eyes blue like the skies, I got my, I got my fa father's eyes, I got my father's eyes blue like the skies, I got my fa father's eyes I got my father's eyes blue like the skies of my thunder. I got my father's eyes. I got my father's eyes blue. Come on, children. Pretty Mound of Dirt, that's so-so. That's from Birthday Songs 2002. Um, so you're starting, you're saying you're starting to really find your sound and, and your voice. And I can tell, um, you know, you still got that choppy guitar thing going on on that track in particular. But, um, you know, you definitely have a, a style of, I don't, I don't want to say depressing, but maybe, <laughs> I mean... And and yet, it, it, it kind of reminds me of myself where it's like, even the other day, someone was saying like, uh, or, um, you know, your songs tend to be rather negative and you're really positive in real life. And it seems like the same with you. Like, every time I ever saw you, you're always, uh, ha you know, happy person and positive and, and, uh, and yet you write really dark. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. I had a similar experience in, in Belgium when I went to tour uh, 
maybe for the first time and um met some of the homies out there nomad his uh wife was like a big fan yeah she she found me to be kind of like goofy and obnoxious and like <laughs> drunk all the time and she's like you're not sweet like i imagined you would be um but yeah i think when i'm like trying to make music that's sort of like um yeah one of the things i'm pushing myself to do is sort of say something that i wouldn't say otherwise yeah so it's like uh it's it's kind of hard actually because you have to make yourself really vulnerable to like share stuff about yourself especially when you're you know i've developed a really like great self-defense mechanism for like dealing with the world through like jokes and humor and stuff like that so like my music i felt was sort of like this place for me to um uh kind of be like more reflective uh share more um and kind of explore that other part of my my personality or my experience and i think it kind of found an audience for that reason like it was a lot of it's like you know bare your soul uh which can be either like cringeworthy or like kind of painful mm -hmm. but um i think it kind of resonated with people because it was like earnest and um when i was thinking about sort of positioning myself in in hip-hop kind of in in more broadly um some of that was a response to sort of the braggadocio kind of kind of way that hip-hop kind of was you know yeah um i guess it's still like that it's like super macho um yep. still and uh and i was like you know trying to do something a little bit more specific or unique to my experience and something that's a little more rooted in like in my world my worldview and my experience and my history and um and part of that i think you know was from like going to art school a little bit and being a little more reflective and critical about like the kind of music and in art i was kind of trying to make so yeah so i think that's uh, sort of where i kind of carved out a little niche in that way yeah it's one it's completely original like i don't there is no um i don't know i don't think there's i don't know of any parallel as far as and I, maybe i wouldn't because it's sort of like i know you because regionally like would i know you if i lived in grew up in atlanta i don't know right but right <laughs> um you know but uh it's just yeah it's super unique and very you know i mean the thing to me it's like we always said uh, in our label it's like you got to be yourself you got to be yourself and you got to be original and you guys to me took it even further like you're so original we're not a to me if you ask it's like peanuts and corn a lot of the stuff we've done has original bits to it but a lot of it is fairly derivative of hip-hop and you know sounding like and you guys you know you and and epic for his own reason you know took it to a much further bit of originality which i think is again you know you're almost as polarizing i'd say as epic right like some people are going to really connect with your style and how much you put out there you know you have songs about family members you know and things like that like very very personal much more personal than i ever got i think and so obviously some people are going to get turned off by that and then others are going to connect with it like crazy so but obviously you you know you found an audience like where are you 
around this time, what are you doing? Like, are you are you touring, and where are you kind of getting the positive feedback that makes you keep going? Yeah. So, I mean, again, like the uh, independent music was becoming more viable, and that was sort of like uh, a bit of uh, you know a lot of momentum for independent music, kind of more generally. And then the internet was just like such a crucial part of that. Yeah. And um, I think people there was like a real like period of like discovery where people wanted to find you know new things or like seek out obscure music and it was you know so i I mean i was very obscure so i had that working for me yeah um we'd uh we went on a tour in 2002 i think it was uh because saskatoon again like you know we had we kind of all kind of built this kind of unique and um, really vibrant, like local hip hop scene here. Yeah. And part of that was, you know, we had some people who are willing to like step up and like make these big risks to like promote shows and bring people here. And um, we said I had this kind of unique relationship with like LA underground stuff. So that's right. Went on a tour with bus driver and AWOL one and circus and K and emphasis and joss and chaps and like we all did like a cross canada tour in 2002 um which was kind of cool because then you know that gave me a chance to meet people in person um kind of test my test my stuff on like different audiences in a way and um playing live is always like uh pretty hard for me because i uh I, tr- I, I kind of like make myself pretty vulnerable because it's like, and I try to like perform with a certain kind of like emotional intensity and kind of like rawness. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to, it's hard to bring that to certain rooms. Like we played Vancouver. Uh, I was going on before AWOL one, but before I went on, cause like, you know, I was like maybe the first or second performer. Yeah. Put like a break dance and all an all oh, female break dancing crew on, and they like performed and got like everyone like really amped up. And then like I had to go on with my like really slow like kind of morose <laughs> rap set. Yeah, uh, and it was like so that happened. That's happened to me like a few times where I'm just like, this is not the right moment or room or yeah, and that's really hard. But my favorite thing is actually playing a club uh where there's like a lot of crowd noise and then like just the intensity of my emotion this is going to sound insane but just like bringing like a lot of intense and intensity and kind of uh rawness and kind of vulnerability just like hushes the crowd and they just like focus in right so it's uh it can be like the most intense rewarding experience but it can also be you know the biggest disaster (laughs) or like you know it can it's like a it's a real personal risk to put yourself up there in that situation so i think um sometimes it was nice to tour with artists who are like a little more like rappy yeah because you know uh i went on a tour and it was with uh like death three was on the tour and um factor and Ira Lee and uh, we were rolling through Western Canada or something. We went to Golden. Yeah. And there were like three, 
there were like I think we played the only kind of bar in town. There was a stag and two stagettes at the bar that night. Oh. So like I had to go on and like do my kind of like kind of sad set. Um, <laughs> sad set. Which it went fine. Like it was kind of cool because like some people came up to me after and were like, "Oh, feeling it or whatever." But at the same time, there was like a fucking raging party happening. Like yeah you know just on the other side of the dance floor or what you know like yeah so uh so that's when it, it's like nice to be like all right danny get up there and like kick yeah. some like raps <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so yeah 2002 uh things were starting to come together i was kind of getting a little more focused I started reaching out to some friends in music not in hip-hop music but you know people who are kind of doing stuff writing grants trying to learn about that kind of stuff trying to learn about distro and radio and all that kind of stuff asking you a million questions yeah um that album was nominated for a western canadian music award which was kind of like kooky yeah i think swollen members won they were of course, on like of course a, they did i think they must have won like 10 in a row but pretty much yeah but i couldn't believe that even got nominated so that was pretty cool so Very kind cool. of felt like i was having some uh never financial success but like getting enough like you know and your city uh, was behind you kind of wasn't it like did the you know the local paper write about you and i mean the hip-hop yeah the hip-hop you know you guys are all friends so you're getting that support it seemed like was there another is there another was there another like set of hip-hop heads that hated all you guys was there like the real you know super derivative dudes that were you know thought that the that the you know your whole crew which is as like you know k and factor and everybody like that everybody who's gone on to do all kinds of interesting things and then there must have been like the whole derivative was there was there was that sect there or was that did not even exist in saskatoon well that was kind of the beauty of it like we were we were kind of starting from scratch so we could like kind of kind of because uh we had a certain kind of momentum or like kind of uh community built around like our kind of interests yeah you know there didn't there wasn't a lot of room for like uh kind of a more conventional or like mainstream kind of sounding artist so i think of people like moonshine so like he's from saskatoon yeah uh uh, really sweet guy. Like I loved his production. Kind of rapped with like a fake American accent a little bit. You know, oh, like yeah. he was a little more like a little bit more of a kind of in that genre, I guess. Yeah. Often when we had, you know, because of the radio show, because it's a small city, because you know we're all like doing DJ nights and promoting shows and playing shows and open for all the shows, we often would like just sort of like form friendships with people you know so it's like uh people like moonshine i don't want to like pick on him or anything because like i think he's like a super like talented uh, musician he's still like doing stuff oh yeah um but yeah so like he'd kind of like we kind of like draw him in the fold in a certain way you know so like we all wrapped on like a radio show compilation together and i recorded a few things and i think i gave him a beat and like so uh, you know, so there were a few dick. There were a few dickheads in the scene, but like I don't want to give them too much like airtime. No, but 
But you know, a lot of the guys who were looking to do something else, we kind of formed friendships with. They're like, ultimately, they had they had to listen to the nonce, or else they just weren't down. They just <laughs> they just couldn't exist in Saskatoon. Yeah, yeah and like, yeah, but we had I had eclectic tastes as a DJ. Like, I actually love like New York. Like, I love DJing like kind of New York hip hop. Oh yeah, and um, as a listener, I like the kind of like LA underground stuff. Um, but yeah, so, because we're all DJs and a radio show, and it's just like so eclectic. Like, so who would you point to as the one who started the the LA pipeline? Like, who who got that relationship started? Any idea? Was it? Hmm. I mean, obviously, Factor has been the one who's you know cultivated right. and keeping that pipeline amazing relationship open. with with yeah. with those. But like, what got that started? Like, who was the one who said? I'll buy the plane ticket and lose money on this first, second, or third show. Right. To bring someone this um, obscure to Saskatoon. You know, Joss Ives, uh, he was like kind of like an early adopter for like internet stuff. Yeah. And I remember he reached out to AWOL1. I think he found him on the internet somehow. So AWOL1 sent us a bunch of his like very first 12 inch. Um, and so like Joss had a real like uh, is that the 12 inch that's only got one side yeah I think I might so cool, I, hey? I have a copy of it and I'm, maybe I got it from Joss yeah so he had like 10 of these things 10, 10 records and like they kind of formed this like early kind of like connection and I'm trying to remember like uh, kind of like precisely how that all came together um the, there's a, a guy named Matt Schreier, mm-hmm. aka the Hip Hop Bear. He promoted a lot of those shows in the early days. Yeah. So he was the guy who'd be like, "I'll put my kind of money on the line to bring Tumex here, to bring Bus Driver here." I mean, and we were having shows where, um, you know, I'm sure it was a timing thing, but like, you know, you get 300 kids at a hall somewhere. Yeah. And just have a bonkers show. Um, and so I think that kind of, that's, that's sort of why he decided to like go on tour, you know, like he was like, let's take these guys on tour. Right. And so he kind of financed that, our first tour with those guys, which I think was like financially ruinous, like, <laughs> sure. you know, so you can do a show here and, you know, get three or 400 kids at a show. But then you like, we went to Regina and like, you know, you're not promoting it. You don't know the people there. Yeah, you, you might know, have 50 people. We had like 12 or something. Like it was yeah. just brutal, you know? <laughs> and so uh, that is actually kind of like the story of my touring life. Oh, mine too. I mean, like you have those amazing shows and then you just have that like sobering, like sort of reality check show. Oh, yeah. I mean, we would, uh, we'd almost never get, not get the reality check right away. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's pretty much like, oh my God, there's so many people here that tomorrow's going to suck. <laughs> you know, yeah. that was a guarantee. Uh, all right, I want to play a, a little uh, a little bonus track here. This, um, I was going, I've been going through all my media over the, over this quarantine time. So I mentioned I had ripped your, your vinyl and I actually ripped that AWOL one, one-sided vinyl, which I must've got from, uh, from No Ski from Joss and mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. also my tapes and so I have some tapes of that Pip sent me of demos and things like that from when we were working on Funny Farm 
and uh, we did a song called Pip Skizzy. But uh, he did a here's a version of Pip Pip Skizzy by Pip Skid that is produced by you by Soso, and um, you know he did this all the time where he do a do a do a track over someone else's beat for a project we were working on, and I just took it personally and was like, "Fuck it, I'll give you an even better beat." <laughs> I gotta like, I gotta I gotta step my game up, and so yeah. I did that because this is a good beat, this is a good song, and uh, so here's Pip Skizzy by Pip Skid demo version. Um, produced by Soso. Skizzy by Pip Skid. That's a demo that he did um, over one of your beats. Did that beat end up get, finding a home, or was that just that's it? Yeah, so that ended up uh, being used in 
an epic song on locals only on local only uh midnight move it was called okay yeah and i think actually it i kind of reworked it a little bit so there was a little uh kind of abrupt kind of little change up halfway through that track so kind of broke it up a bit right yeah you know like that was my first time hearing that uh was uh when you sent that to me it was kind of cool yeah i also like i mentioned this before but like i'm really glad that that didn't end up on funny farm because funny farm is is my my favorite canadian record i think like i just fucking love that record so uh i listen to it so much and um yeah i think that's one of your guys's best albums and it's like my favorite canadian one i think for sure it's my favorite pip album as well um I think he just was in a real good zone. I was in a good zone and it's uh, pretty well focused and, um, uh, you know, we never really got, well, that was the last album, solo, Pip's solo album we've done. Like that was, that, that was it. So, um, but yeah, there was no way at that time I'm having any other beats on it. Sorry. <laughs> mm. I'm glad it worked out that way. Yeah. I was in a zone for sure. <laughs> and, um, yeah, what was, were you doing at that time? Like, were you doing music full time? Yeah, I was doing music full time. Well, you know, full time being one, I'm I'm running the label, and so, and I'm also running this distributor. Right, right, right. So full time ish in that there'd be times where I could go and just focus on a record, and you know, like I didn't have a job or anything. But mm-hmm. I was at you know I was at the airport two twice a week doing importing stuff to run this distributor. I was doing so much other stuff and it was just yeah you know I think it's funny like the things you try to piece together to have like a viable music career um can derail it yeah really like I kind of did a similar thing where trying to do that record shop and like I'm like well I think I can make this work somehow and you know it's (laughs) well that's perfect perfect timing I did want to ask when did you decide Start phonographic because phonographic started, I believe, as a, a brick, brick and mortar mm-hmm. actual record shop. Yeah, correct. And then yeah. it evolved into an online thing, and we partnered with David. Yeah. Do I have that right? So yeah, so I wanted to open a record shop actually back, you know, uh, Factor and uh, Moonshine opened a shop together. That's right. In like 2001 or something, in like maybe? a strip mall or something. Yeah, it? I wanted to get in on that, but like I just the timing wasn't quite right, and I couldn't. You know, they kind of they they were able to kind of what was that called? Put something together. No static. Right. Um. So that was around for a couple years. That should have been a cautionary tale, really. You know, <laughs> but uh, I was like convinced that I could like somehow do better. So I'd been working. Uh, I'd been working at the university at a at the kind of art gallery, art collection, uh, sort of, uh, my first professional art job for a couple years. Yeah. Um, but like still like making tons of music and I was kind of, uh, feeling like a little, uh, unsatisfied cause, you know, I was doing a lot of work at a desk and just my mind was kind of on music more than, more than, or, you know, I wanted to see where I could do with it, I guess. Yeah. And so I was constantly scheming that was like something i really loved to do in those days scheming um so i kind of came up with this idea of 
uh, my boss, I talked to my boss and he, he let me take a year leave from my job, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, so I did that. I took a year and I opened up this shop. Noise was, uh, noise was selling our music uh, on Uggs Mag underground sound yeah. website. And, uh, that was like a cool little outlet for us. Like whenever I was feeling a little demoralized or like, uh, a little low, I'd get like an email from noise saying like, Oh, I need another 10 CDs of this, or I need some more of this. So he, did, he was kind of like constantly kind of getting our stuff out. And he did good numbers. Yeah. It was not, uh, not bad at all. He definitely helped. And so we kind of formed a friendship because we'd play Edmonton quite a bit and uh, we'd stay at his house when we went there. And then he'd kind of come here sometimes for shows and uh, we sort of formed a friendship and uh, I decided to put friendship on the line and invite him to come here and like start a business with me. So we started Phonographique together, um, kind of transitioned the online store from his shop to like Phono uh, and then did that uh, for a couple of years anyway um we we did okay like in terms of like i thought we were we we're selling a decent amount of stuff um so like i feel i can feel good about like the amount of music we sold for other people yeah like you know like if if i have any if i can take anything away from that and feel good about it it was sort of like uh having an outlet for other people to like sell a bit of music as well and like it was a cool spot in the sense that uh, I did look like tons of, um, I kind of programmed it like a art space. Yeah. So we'd have like art exhibitions, CD release parties in stores, um, that kind of stuff. So there was like kind of cool energy in there. Uh, it just wasn't really like viable, you know, um, I couldn't really build it or take it to where it needed to go in order to make it like a viable entity. I mean, I've seen the record store attempt so many times over. <laughs> yeah, you guys did it too, like in Winnipeg, right? Well, like, yeah. Not I you, but like. But yeah, yeah, there's the Wax Museum, the Vines, yeah. all that. And it's like, you open up, you have all this stuff. And then yeah. the stuff that doesn't sell sits there. And slowly the stuff that doesn't sell makes it harder to get new stuff. And you just, you know, people come in. Mm. And then the people come in. And it's like there's nothing new. I saw it at first at, with, when people tried to do a skate shop in Brandon. It was the same thing. It's like all these new decks. And then the, the 80% that didn't sell just sat there. And you'd go in and be like, it's the same stuff. And yeah. then I saw it again as record stores in the late 90s and late 90s and early 2000s trying to like keep this culture going. And, you know, people who loved the culture and were doing it for the right reasons. And, and you guys included so hard it was so hard yeah. i mean at least you had the online thing like you know the vinylist the wax museum never had that um, mm. they were just strictly brick and mortar so but yeah i can imagine it was a cool space i remember it being like in an old building and it being nicely yeah. put together and yeah it was cool it was like something you know that i could build and i got a chance to really like make a deep friendship with with noise because like we spent so much time together great human um he is amazing man there's a there's like one or two people in the world who can like bring my like heart rate down yeah. like he's just he's just got such a like calm and pleasant demeanor that just being around him is like 
therapeutic. Like this kind of brings my yeah. my energy to a nice place. Yeah, he's amazing. Love that guy. And he met his wife in Saskatoon, and oh, that right? that's kind of what eventually brought him to the states, and uh, kind of in a circuitous way got him to Austin. So I hope I don't think he uh, has any regrets about doing it, but it didn't really work out the way I like dreamed it would, yeah. you know. And that actually put stress on my like it put financial pressure on me that actually working a job and having a music career wouldn't have. Yeah. So like I remember coming back from tour, uh, feeling kind of burnt out, uh, didn't have my own place to live. So I was like renting a, a place for my brother. The record shop had its like worst month in a history while I was gone and I had to pay someone to work there so I could go on tour. And then you come back from tour where you maybe made like, I come home with like 500 bucks or something. Yeah. Like, you know, you make a tiny amount of money and you come home and like the store had its worst month ever. And you got to pay the guy who worked for you while you were gone. Oh, and you're just like, you have, you own nothing. Yeah. Just a bunch of debt from like, you know, work, like buying inventory and stuff for the store. So it was just like, yeah, it was a bit of a grind there at the end. And I think it actually took a bit of a toll on me in terms of uh, just making music a little bit, maybe like, you know, that was a little bit later, but you know, you kind of get disenchanted in a way. Oh yeah. Um, and that was, I think that might've been a little bit part of it. Absolutely. I mean, I had the exact same thing with, you know, running a distributor, doing all the stuff, the label. And we did some stuff where it was like, you know, we kind of went for broke. I think we spent like 10 or 20,000 us on promotion on some stuff. Could didn't really lead to anything or pay for itself at all. And just, you know, you just, it's tough business tough to stay tough to stay afloat and you know <laughs> and especially in a small market like winnipeg or or a cold market like vancouver or saskatoon <laughs> yeah yeah it's tough um yeah. so i want to talk about your next record um which is 10th and clarence do i have that right yeah 10th street and clarence where's that is that in saskatoon <laughs> yeah you know one thing i noticed from your from your podcast series is you guys and this, I think you guys should do something with this. Uh, but you guys always remember uh, kind of moments uh, by location. Yeah. So you'd be like, oh, that was your place here. Or like, I think I was living here at the time. Or you came to me and Tyler were living in this place. Yeah. So it, when everyone's kind of recounting their stories, they're like actually like cited at a yeah, physical where, location where, was, where you yeah. were living. Yeah. So I think, uh, David, if you're, if you're listening, you should do an illustration series of all these places. So I think that would be pretty sick. Oh, man. That would but, be sick. Like, the, yeah. like the, 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 the basement in 808 Fleet where the, where the pit, yeah. Spitz photo is, where so many <laughs> records happen. Exactly. Absolutely. So yeah, that's 10th Street and Clarence. That's where I was living when I wrote that record. And I had this kind of theory that... Um, so we kind of talked a little bit about uh, artists from Canada kind of emulating kind of like a generic kind of mm -hmm. American music. My theory was that the more specific you could be, uh, the broader audience you could actually reach. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, 10th Street and Clarence was uh, probably, that one probably uh, did the best for me. Yeah. And uh, reached a pretty big, uh, pretty big audience. Uh, it was pressed and released in Germany. It was pressed and released in Japan. Uh, 
and probably was one of the better selling things I did uh, at the label. Like, I think we were always kind of operating at a pretty, uh, you know, not at a very high level in terms of the amount of music we were selling. Like yeah. if we sold, if we, we'd usually press 500 and if we repressed, that would be kind of a big deal, you know? Yeah. So I think this was one that kind of did well and um, got a lot of interest, I think, and started kind of building that out a little bit in places outside of Canada, which um, was just like so amazing. And uh, yeah, I remember that. I remember that because I was distributing your stuff, but you also had some direct deals, some some other presses that were doing well for you. Mm -hmm. um, and that, and so another nice thing about the label was certainly, you know, your art design. And was that all you doing all that work as well? Yeah, I kind of wanted to, uh, especially in the early part of it, I wanted to kind of do every aspect of it, you know, like I wanted to do, I wanted to do all the production. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to rap and then I wanted to do all my own kind of art direction and the art part of it. So, um, yeah, I kept that. I was able to do that for quite a while. And then, you know, I kind of shifted. I sort of had an epiphany that maybe, um, working with like other good artists could like, you know, I could achieve something that I couldn't personally do because I had a certain kind of aesthetic or a yeah. certain kind of thing that I did. But yeah, 10th Street and Clarence came out in this kind of weird kind of clamshell yeah, cool with like package. liner notes and yeah. uh, photography kind of from my, from my yard. And um, yeah, it was, it was probably some people, I think, I think that's, that's sort of their favorite record because it was sort of the, it was sort of probably my, the maturation of like the sour sweet birthday songs kind of trajectory. Yeah, of, I think like, you had your you, sound and then you took it to, yeah, you refined it, it out. maybe added the layers and made it a little more. Mm -hmm. uh, well, let's listen to a song. It's called Hungover for Three Days Straight. You said this is your hit. Yeah, this is the hit. Is, is this the one with the video where you walk at the camera and look at the camera? Yeah, I yeah. got the wheelbarrow. I thought that was a great video, actually. Um, let's check this out. This is Hungover for Three Days Straight. This is So So from 10th Street and Clarence.
pesticide drift settles over a blanket of poppies my mother inherited ruffled pink and homely as a housewife's dress this caress paints green leaves white with chemicals and death last night i ran until i lost my breath the doctors had to put a tube in the old man's chest and it rained just enough to get the deck boards wet the trees still need water i've seen my father dip countless pails into the rain barrel fill tree wells and spell out my family name in a strange stone arrangements and jennifer plants and patience side of 28 I didn't make it out to pick choke cherries even though the frost was late and I suppose what the cold didn't get the blackbirds already ate and I'm hungover again for the third day straight Hey, that was uh, that was hungover for three days straight, and that was so uh, so from Tenth Street and Clarence. Very nice piece of music. And there's a really cool video. Tell me about the video. Whose idea was that? Was that your idea? Where you just stare yeah. at the camera and it sounds like you're feels like you're following someone a camera in a pickup truck or something in the snow. Was it in the snow? Yeah, yeah. So I I mean when I was a, an art student, I was uh, doing a lot of photography and video, and I basically made a video 
with this one long take of uh, a woman pushing a wheelbarrow and I started host on her face and I kind of like pulled out and it's sort of like this really long kind of pretty take. And I didn't end up like, it didn't really materialize into like a final piece, but I like really liked the concept for it. And so, um, yeah, when I, when I was working on this album, um, having a video felt like uh, also like something that you'd kind of legitimize your practice in some way, or, you know, everybody wanted to at least take a shot at making a video. Right. Yeah. Um, so I kind of, I kind of adapted that same concept that I used for a earlier piece, more like an art project. And, uh, I had a friend who was, uh, kind of a camera operator. He was like an independent filmmaker working at like an artist run center here where they did video production. So I rented the camera. He was a buddy of mine. He operated it. And then a factor who I knew I could rely on because he never had a job his whole life. He just got to make music <laughs> like, dude, can you come out and come out tomorrow morning and like shoot this thing with me? And he's like, he was in. So he was driving the van and we sort of set the camera up in the back of the van and kind of walked. We shot it a little bit faster so we could slow it down. Remember okay. that kind of trick? Yeah. Um, and, uh, it was really cold. Like I, I think I actually, that was the one time I got frostbite. It was like in the, you know, mid twenties. And then with a wind chill, it was like in the, like the thirties. Did you do more but than it, one take? One take. One That's take. all we could do. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was, it turned out like really pretty, I think. And, um, uh, that's beautiful. I remember yeah. being very, very impressed with it and je probably jealous. It was actually shown in an art exhibition in like in St. John, Newfoundland or something like a curator I knew, like, he was like, I want to put this in a show nice. and sort of like something about like prairies or Saskatoon or something. But yeah, that was kind of cool. Uh, so yeah, that song kind of, uh, I played it all my shows. I kind of jokingly call it my hit. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good one. Nice piece of music. You're definitely getting into, um, yeah, definitely more composition and yeah, just, just, I mean, certainly you have the, you always had the ear, but definitely mature. Mm -hmm. Um, so let's talk about another release that you did with a good mutual friend of ours. Uh, he went by the name Satchel Page and then went by the name Nestor Winrush. Uh, we did a podcast with him and he had a lot of lovely things to say about you and working with you and having the opportunity to do this record. Um, I know that he puts, I know personally that he puts a lot of heart and soul into everything he does. Um, there's a huge amount of, of his life put into his record. So tell me about making a record with, uh, with Ness, with Nestor Winrush. Yeah. So, uh, we sort of talked about how the early days of the label was a sort of mean epic. And we also kind of talked about ways of like trying to find a, a way to like kind of grow your music practice or like develop the label and kind of stuff like that. So we started, you know, maybe after 2005, I started like reaching out to just artists that I liked in Canada and kind of working together. So I did a record with Recyclone. Yeah. Uh, we've, uh, we, I, uh, I released an album by Thesis Sahib that I thought was like yeah. probably like a really amazing record, actually really cool, like piece of music. Um, and 
I mean, Epic made a record with Nomad. So we were kind of trying to bring, kind of try to broaden, like, kind of like the label a little bit and like yeah. work with other artists that I just thought that were like super interesting and artists I kind of wanted to support. And Ness was like, uh, Ness and I like really kind of bonded. And I think part of it might be kind of, you might have put your finger on it, just sort of like we have this kind of similar approach to making music you know so we have like you know really different backgrounds and but we kind of have a similar kind of interest in uh, sort of personal history and kind of exploring social topics through our like history in a way mm-hmm. um and i thought he was making like super interesting music and um it sort of felt like i wanted to support him in a way yeah, which which I mean I don't mean to sound like patronizing or anything like that, but I kind of felt like um, he needed like he needed like someone to put a record out, you know, like because yeah. he'd done like quite a few things uh, independently and with different like people. Like, uh, what did the what did the guy I'm from here album come out on? Was that Gumshoes? Yeah, thing? your brother's records. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was like a great record. It is a great record. Um, and and uh yeah so like we kind of formed this unlikely friendship i which i still don't quite remember like the origins of it i do remember meeting him i think he like hosted a show i did in winnipeg Mm -hmm. so i knew all you guys but i didn't know like the extended family kind of yeah and so i i was actually a little bit intimidated by him you know he's like he's got a big personality on stage you know like yeah he's up there like yelling and saying crazy shit and yeah. he's like <laughs> i'm like i don't know who he is and i'm like oh my god is he gonna think i does he is he gonna think i suck like you know like because you know it was kind of <laughs> just like you know meeting someone new um but yeah i really i love i love his music and we formed some kind of friendship and uh i wanted just to like help him put something out because i just really believe that really believe in his music i still think it's like really it's like super interesting and like um kind of important in a way you know like because i think i was working in the arts for such a long time too like doing more like curatorial work you just like sometimes you just connect with something and you want to like share it or like bring it here or like put like you want people to know about it right and so like i i don't know if i like i wasn't motivated by like a deep desire to like make a record with ness but it was more like i wanted people to hear his music and i felt like maybe it might not happen if like maybe i could help him do it you know what i mean yeah so i think um by that point um my production had like tailed off quite a bit i was back to like working a regular job um focusing a little bit more on my own like my own writing and like kind of stuff like that doing less production just because i think i didn't feel i didn't really have time to like juggle everything also trying to like have an art practice like i just so the production thing kind of fell that was sort of the casualty of like that time crunch right so i don't think i was in a position really to like produce a whole nas album but i did have some like beats and stuff that i sent him and uh he liked a couple of them and i think maybe that was like the seeds of something 
And um, so as far as um, because there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot like I produced some of you it. You did lots of it, didn't you? Yeah. Like and, half or more? Uh, half? I think I did like four tracks or something. Okay. I to check. And then I cut down. I think it has a beat or two. And then you have some beats. And, you know, it's a. So were you active in that or was that all just uh, Ness running that down? Like as far as. Yeah. That did was... you record the whole record though? You did, right? I did, yeah. You mixed it. Yeah. So, like, yeah, Ness did all the. You know, he put it all together. And then I think he came to Saskatoon for a week maybe and stayed with me. And we just recorded. That actually was. I don't, you know, because I had a little bit of a break, I don't remember it being like that onerous. And I, because I like enjoyed Ness's company, uh, we had like a lot of fun at the same time. So the timing was a little bit better in terms of like, you know, I kind of went into it probably with a better attitude and just like enjoyed it, the process more than I did, you know, when you're doing a lot of it. Yeah. So, uh, and like Ness is like, he, uh, I mean, he'd love to like come to Saskatoon and like, he'd want to go out and see stuff and do stuff. And so, you know, when he was, when he's here, it's kind of like a vacation for me too, you know? So like, we're out showing him around doing stuff. Right. We're going to Boston pizza. That's... We're like taking him to all the spots. <laughs> Cause they don't have that in Winnipeg. Boston. No, no, no. We got the good one. Right. Uh, all right, well, let's listen to a song from... Uh, so the album was called Trinipeg 78. Mm-hmm. And um, I have written down here somewhere what year it came out. And I'll tell you all about it after I look it up again. But this song is produced by you because I did you a disservice on his podcast. only played the songs I produced. <laughs> so yeah. here is a song you produced. This song's called So High, the Richardson. And this is definitely um, a beat that is a good beat. And... It doesn't have your signature sound to my ear. No. It's cool. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that either way, but this, <laughs> yeah. you know. Let's check this out. This is So High, the Richardson. She was a J.A. beauty with sing the ship hips Cocoa earlobe, chocolate lace lips Paradise in a glimpse, blue mountains in a kiss Syrupy sweet, she give you tooth decay Holly and say, she make you scream out and say 
wild horses couldn't drag me away Be perfect always, I'll be perfect always Gave Juanita a year of champagne Picture perfect in a window frame Fairy tale, damn, diamond rings rain Fairy tale, shipping was only a game Woke up to Tanya when I'm out of Winnipeg Chose to break up and tell her after Kimberly Pig Now she a powder cake Burning up with anger, play for Arsenal She coached for Arsene Banger Cause foot to the balls, to the floor I fell Then on a plane, she forever leaves the plains to burn memories, then above my name Picking up her pride, stuffing short of insane Hardenly voices and hardenly shame Hardenly struggle and hardenly pain When the heart aches, the heart it does ache How will heart ache when she again saw my face a basic Her brown eyes were painted Whispers to me, now why she came back a basic Her brown eyes were painted Another man's baby before she came back Whole tug we rocked for minutes then we talked Still wondering when will my shit stop She's still wondering when will, when will, when will, when will, huh The Richardson, that's Nestor Winrush, formerly known as Satchel Page, and we just call him Ness, and we love him very much. And that album is called Trinipeg 78, and um, it's really dope. You should get it if you can. I don't know. Is it online? Yeah, it's online, right? It's so. What's your deal with, um, like, what, I know that I go on Bandcamp, I can find the Soso albums, but what's, where's all the other close horse stuff? I think like when I when Bandcamp started, I felt like uh, maybe I didn't have like permission to do it. You know what I mean? Like I'm like, well, maybe I produce this album, but it's like not my album. You know? Right. Even though uh, it's your label. Right. It's like I don't want to figure out what. Another thing I f- fucking hated about like the label at, by the end was like figuring out like how somebody needs to get paid for this, and then like I need to do this for that. I need to keep track of this payment, and then yeah. like. You know, everyone's like really, you know, it created a lot of tension between me and Epic because like, you know, I was, I would pay to put stuff out. I would get the money from the sales, but we just put it into the next record or whatever. Right. And it's like, so I think, you know, he was like, Oh, you know, we're selling all these records and like Troy's just like getting rich off my music or whatever, you know? And it's like, yeah. 
obviously it's like not how it is um but it creates like tension and then it's like i just fucking got sick, so sick of like trying to keep track of all that shit and like send yeah. people like their little micro payment for digital sales you know yeah we got 32 dollars in q4 and like 12 of that is epics and you know so i yeah. just i think i was just like you know what fuck it i'm like i'll put my music out there i don't want to have to deal with like the negotiation to put other stuff up yeah but um maybe it should maybe it's like time to do it i don't know um i had a, I had a relationship with scott de ross like yes. uh, uh so he helped me put out quite a bit of music um which you know and he's like super organized and uh really generous and uh cares a lot about music and stuff and so i think he got he's he did all my digital distro stuff so yeah it was kind of nice so he i think quite a bit of that stuff should be on spotify but i'm not sure if the nest album is or not yeah i think it is online that one is yeah yeah that was the last uh thing i put out on close horse that was sort of the oh really yeah that was the so swan after, song so after that then you started to deal with endemic then yeah like it sort of the uh again like sort of my work life was kind of like ramping up and uh you know i wasn't i didn't i didn't enjoy the like administration of a label really yeah. anymore and um it wasn't really it wasn't like there, it wasn't really feasible financially and so i was kind of like not in a position to like sink more of my own money into it yeah um so i kind of just I don't think I intended to to walk away from it really, but I just was like went into a hiatus that became sort of a permanent hiatus, I guess. Right. And um, yeah, working with Scott was really great because you know he had that um, kind of like energy and interest to like help me release stuff. I had some relationships with other labels like uh, Kudu Folk, mm-hmm. um, which is. Uh, it's sort of also kind of wound down, but uh, they were like a French label, put a couple albums out for me. You know, Hugh uh, put a few things out. So I kind of had like sort of this kind of network of other kind of labels that could kind of help me do my thing. And then I didn't have to worry about that side of it so much. Yeah. Which isn't like in the beginning when you're just learning, it's like really exciting. You know, it's like everything is a, an achievement and, you, know, you feel you feel really good about it but then you know it's a kind of a grind too so oh, uh, such a grind as you get older and you kind of like you have to start prioritizing your time it's yeah. like well this is i'm not getting a lot of like joy out of this anymore so yeah. uh i was well okay to let that stuff go i uh, yes yeah, record out with this i spent i spent a bunch of my time between christmas and whatever shipping seven inches um or i guess it was late january when we did the betamax seven inch this year and it was like right. i don't miss this <laughs> one bit you yeah. know like shipping envelopes and it's just like give me a break this is ridiculous that's yeah. why i mean i love vinyl i love all the real i love real product but i love also you know the idea of like all you do is upload it and you're done that whole part of it that's really great except that then no one cares. But other than that, it's really great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, 
I was going to play a song. I'm not going to play a song from your album where you... It's your alternative album. Is it What's it mm-hmm. called? From 2007? Is it Tinfoil on the Windows? Do I have that Tin right? Tinfoil on the Windows, yeah. So you... Basically, yeah. So like in 2005, when when my... Uh, when 10th Street and Clarence came out, um, I went on tour with Maybe Smith. Yeah. who's like a Saskatoon musician. And like, we also became like really good friends through this process of like touring. And uh, we would reinterpret uh, songs off of that album for like a live format. So he's playing guitar and keyboards and I was kind of doing uh, work in the drum machine and DJing. They kind of created a, like a thing, a more interesting kind of dynamic for the show. Yeah. And I mean, he was making tons of music uh, really interesting stuff and doing really well. And so I kind of wanted to collaborate with them just to like see what we could kind of come up with in a way. So um, it was a bit of a risk. Uh, it was kind of funny because like listening to you talk to, to, to Roly about his like second album or whatever, where he's like, so I found this thing that people really liked that I did. And then I make my second album and then like people hated it. Cause it was like yeah. it's totally different than the thing I did. Yeah. So like, you know, I worked really hard to like establish sort of a certain kind of thing and it kind of achieved something with 10th street and Clarence. And I think people were expecting like 10th street and Clarence, but only like a little bit better or whatever. Right. Um, but I kind of like, uh, I think I just wanted to like, try some different stuff, you know, and like experiment a little bit and like see, see what could happen. So I did this album with maybe Smith and like some of the songs are like seven and a half minutes long and they're like really noisy and like kind of beautiful in their own way, but a bit shrieky. Like I'm singing a little bit more. Yeah. Um, So yeah. So like that that was a, a bit of a departure to be sure, but I'm, I'm kind of glad I did it. I'm talking to Scott about Scott wants to press that actually on vinyl. Oh, really? So we're kind of thinking about maybe doing that, doing a little reissue because it, it never came out on vinyl. But yeah, it's kind of an interesting record. It's a bit weird. And, uh, but like, it's kind of like you, uh, you know, you're making a music with like one of your really good friends, you know what I mean? So like yeah. that kind of drives a lot of it. Yeah, let's see what we can do kind of thing. Yeah. And then, um, so what else is going on at this time? Like, I want to play Not For Nothing from your 2013 release. But what, uh, is that a, like, were you doing other stuff in the middle there? Or was it just like, I'm burnt out, I've got got time to get a job and just... Yeah, so I think I went back to, like, went back to work in 2007. So, uh, I think... Kind of my my experience, kind of like after Tinfoil on the Windows, was just sort of like I was I can't I kind of like pushed that as hard as I could. You know, I think I got some grants to like try to do some stuff. I did a I did a tour. Uh, I went to Europe. I went to Japan. I did some shows and showcases in Canada. Uh, maybe Pop Montreal and like I don't know. I sort of I was kind of grinding as hard as I could. Yeah. But, uh, and that kind of coincided also with like the unhealthy stuff I would do on tour, like just like drinking too much and you just feel gross all the time. And you right. kind of come home a little bit like 
worn out and um, not super healthy. And uh, so like I kind of, kind of went back to working in, working in the art world in 2007 and took some, took a bit of time to try to like straighten that stuff out a little bit, get a little bit back on track, uh, try to figure out like, you know, recover yeah. financially, take a break. You know, you kind of get, as I mentioned, you get a little bit, a little bit burnt out, a little bit disenchanted with, with it all. You know, you, it's sort of like giving so much to something that doesn't love you back in the same way, you know what I mean? Or whatever, like, yeah, totally. Like I got a lot, uh, the things I achieved through my music were like unimaginable to me in 1995. So like, I mean, I, I de definitely don't want to like, um, like complain or like imply that I, I didn't have like a really like awesome music practice or career. Yeah. But from like a, just from a, you know, uh, kind of trying to have, think a little bit more long-term and like thinking about careers and stability and, you know, getting a house and like trying to set myself up a little better for when I'm older yeah sort of have this joke that like young troy was always trying to fuck over old troy so i was like <laughs> it finally you know at some point that shit catches up to you and you're like okay 2007 i'm like 30 how old was i then 30 some years old you know i don't have my own place i don't have a job i'm like grinding hard and getting a little success but like nothing to show for it financially yeah i'm like burning myself out and like making bad decisions when i'm like on tour and like having a lot of fun, but also like kind of feeling a little bit sick all the time. So I think I just sort of needed to take a bit of a pause and like really took me a, writing for me is kind of an excruciating process. So like, I think my first thing came out in 2000, then it was 2002, then 2003, then 07. And then it was just like, it would take me years to like get something together. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so after 2007, I sort of like, kind of, yeah, things kind of went into like back burner mode, like the back back burner. Yeah. Really back, far back. <laughs> I know Next to the stove. Yeah. Yeah, so it kind of, you know, it took me some time like to put together my next project. Um, and I wasn't making beats anymore, but I'd still, you know, kind of, that right, to me, a little bit. That to me is um, very interesting. Is that you know, like we'll talk about this not for nothing, which is the song and the album, and you didn't produce it. Is that correct? Yeah. So Mackie made all the beats. It's and kind so of funny because I'm like, Mac, I started... who, tell tell everybody who Mackie is. Yeah. So Mackie is a producer DJ from Cam Loops. He probably helped put your show on when you guys went out there. Yeah. Uh, Super awesome dude, uh, kind of one of those uh, connections that Epic kind of forged, and uh, he made a couple beats on like uh, Local Only. Yeah, I think you're gonna play a song like he he made that track with uh, was, Shazam on it. I was gonna play that, and then I realized yeah. that he didn't even produce it. So, yeah. <laughs> but like, so Mackie was uh, kind of like kind of uh, kind of affiliated or kind of like drawn into our kind of crew. Yeah. informally i guess like pretty early on um i always thought he he had a super good ear for samples 
I kind of like the way he puts stuff together. And, you know, as I was not really making beats, I felt kind of like he was doing, he could do me better than I could do it. You know what I mean? So I'm like, he's got that ear for melody that I just love. You know, he's like building kind of these kind of like layered and kind of like rich kind of songs. Uh, so yeah, I, I started working with him. I still think he's like a really amazing and kind of like criminally slept on producer. Yeah, he's done quite a bit of stuff with Matt, with uh, Kay, and I know he's kind of looking to do some other stuff. We're actually working on a record right now that uh, I just have to re-record some vocals, and it'll be done. So oh, as long really? as I don't, as long as I don't pull a Nestor Windrush and like you know drag this out for another couple years. Yeah, it's uh, not just a Nestor Windrush. It's a lot <laughs> of us. It's harder. It's also a so-so thing. Yeah, it's a macro yeah, we, thing too. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm finishing a record right now that the 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 folder on the desktop says Macenroe 2016, mm, and mm. Uh, it's not coming out until 2021. So Damn. that's not a Nestor yeah. Windrush. That's <laughs> um, that's all of us. That's all yeah. of us. Yeah, that's modern life. Uh, okay, well let's listen to this song from Not For Nothing. This was on Endemic Records. I want to talk more about you not making beats anymore. Unthinkable. Uh, let's listen to this song, Not For Nothing, from the album The Same Name from 2013.
not for nothing that's so so and um that's produced by mackie kamloops his own mm-hmm. is he still in kamloops yeah actually he kind of relocated a couple times but he's i think he's he's back there now funny um, how that happens we all just yeah. go back um yeah he lived in greece even for a while like he's his dad lives in greece and he's so he i mean he lived out there for a bit was in victoria kind of do moving around a bit for work too mm-hmm. so uh, he's in Kamloops. um so that comes out in 2013 on endemic and then have am i missing anything have you been laying low ever since yeah like i did a couple little things like uh there's like a seven inch here and there uh put a seven inch out on a label called mism and they did like an anniversary compilation Mm-hmm. and so like bluebirds on it and like me and some of the homies or whatever that came out in 2015 maybe um but yeah I've, i just it hasn't really felt like a like urgent yeah. in a way yeah um and then maybe about a year ago well actually um 2016 interestingly enough uh i started like writing some stuff like parts of songs or whatever yeah and started getting a few things together and then uh mackie sent me some beats and we started doing some stuff it was actually like i was listening to a lot of experimental music and drone and stuff like that so he sent me a project with no beats interestingly you, you had this conversation just the other day yeah there's no beats on it so it's just like textures sounds drones and i was like i thought it was like really interesting but then kind of got into my own head about it a bit and i'm like it also sounded like maybe the most like self-indulgent like thing that i could have made you know what i mean yeah but i guess it's like who are you making this stuff for at this point so um, i probably could have pulled the trigger on it and had like a cool project but instead kind of sat on it for a little bit kind of humming and hawing and trying to decide if it was like if it sounded right um so mackie you know he's always like working on stuff and so he you know he kind of busy him stuff on other projects and then we got back in touch and sent me some more stuff and some rework stuff and uh i wrote a few more things and now we basically have an an album done i just have to do some a couple of good copy vocals and uh and we'll be ready to go so in that scenario is he mixing and master or like are you just the rapper at this point yeah, I'm just gonna send him acapellas, and then he's gonna mix it. I don't. He might master it. We might get someone to yeah. master it. But um, yeah, he he's like really receptive though to like feedback too. Like he sent me a beat, and I kind of chopped it on him. Yeah, not knowing exactly like how it was structured, but I'm like, well, this is where the piano should drop or whatever. And I started moving things around, and we had to like try to reverse engineer it based on this like demo I sent him because I I fucked his loop up. Yeah. So the loop was maybe like eight bars or four bars. I took like two off of it and like kind of repeated it. Like right. I basically messed his beat up. So, but he was like, you know, super cool to work with. He just wants to make interesting stuff and he's like super open to collaboration. And so I really like working with him. He's really chill. And um, yeah, I think he's like really good at what he does. So pretty excited to, to have something else come out into the world. Yeah, that's great and then but so but you stopped producing that to me is uh don't you love producing what what happened 
you know, yeah, I kind of, I kind of fell off in terms of the priorities in terms of like, um, and I kind of got away from it and got a little like, almost like a little gun shy maybe, you know? So it's yeah. like, after a while, it's just like inertia sets in and it's just not happening. And then it's sort of the idea of even starting again seems like kind of daunting or, you know, I didn't want to have to learn a bunch of new software. Uh, and yeah, I didn't, I mean, I wasn't like, after the Ness record, I don't think I was really working with anybody like in that way. Like I wasn't sending people beats and then it's just sort of like, uh, yeah, it just didn't feel like a priority or anything like that. So, but then like last fall, I just, um, I have like a pretty nice little studio set up at my place. And uh, last fall I started like messing around with some beats again, just for enjoyment. And then I, just, I had the best time. It was so fun. You made some beats. Yeah, some, some goofy, some goofy electronic things, and like some sampled stuff. Uh, yeah, I just had like a lot of fun with it, like dancing around in my garage, you know, like <laughs> just like having the best time. And I'm like, oh, this feels like pretty great. So, uh, yeah, it's fun. It's super fun, but so- it's like also nice to do it when you don't have any pressure. Yeah. Or like, you know, no expectations or, you know, stuff like that. Absolutely. Uh, all right. So we've had a lot of fun talking. I want to play a little bonus cut that you were able to send me earlier today. Um, this is jumping back in time to not sure when, but this is a little demo of a song with one of my favorites. His name is Yai, Danny. And um, he's a super pleasure to work with and a great rapper. And so here he is. Um, you sent me a couple cool demos, so it was tough to decide. There's one <laughs> demo for a song that ended up um, ended up over one of my beats on on I believe tape it back together, and but I didn't want to play you like that, like I did on the Pip Skizzy thing. So let's hear a song that didn't come out <laughs> under over one of my beats. This is just called "Mess of a Man." It's just a verse, I think, but it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's check this out. This is a good beat too. This should have come out somehow. Mm-hmm. They call me mess of a man Gotta get yourself together Put the rest in your hand When it's said Learn a lesson you can't Just understand Through it or you guess it Pretend you're an influence Under pressure never depended on it Prove it And drugs have nothing to do With going from crown to cannibal To communion I swore up and down That I knew what I was doing Fluent Pursuing it Then you lose it Gone through with it Ruin Left with nothing, look at you in As if you win, who is it not cool when you crumble? Think of a couple, then add another two when it's double Pretty soon, pretty sure it's all true when you stumble Try to stand, remember what you do and demand You're right, you never do it now, deal with the damage Like, alright, they call me mess of a man You try to fend it off, pretend to do the best that you can But, huh, they call me mess of a man They criticize and try to make you feel less of a man
right, that was a quick little one. That's called Mess of a Man. So that you were saying that was maybe going to be for a compilation you were working on um, Mm -hmm. that, you know, it's like a lot of things we start and then they don't get finished. It happens. But uh, it's nice to hear it all these years later. And uh, he's a great guy to work with. Yeah, and he's still like, (laughs) yeah, he he sounded really good. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a timeless flow too. He's got like... uh, you know, there's not a lot of difference between t- 2001 Danny and 2020 Danny. It's like very precise yeah. and sharp and good. Mm. Um, it doesn't, you know, you could pretty much take an acapella. Him and Gruff are both like kind of have this timeless sound. I, I don't think I do. Pip doesn't, um, you know, but but they do. Mm-hmm. It kind of came out the gate with like a style kind of or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And just we're able to kind of maybe, maybe hone it a little bit, but not huge changes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah Danny's a lovely dude. He, I, I mentioned this, he, he rapped at my wedding. You rapped at your wedding. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's great. Yeah. Pretty sweet. He's a sweetheart, that guy. And a heck of a rapper. Heck of a rapper. So it was really good to uh, hang out with you, man. Um, I'm excited to hear new music from you. You think you should probably get on finishing those little bits for Mackie and get him, put him to work. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I'll send you. Uh, I'll send you some stuff. So, uh, well, I want to thank you for joining me. Um, it was uh, really fun to catch up and to go down uh, memory lane with you and get caught up on your catalog. And it's always good to hear when people are working on new music because it's, it's great to, uh, you know, that's why we do this shit. It's super fun. It's, it's what we what we love, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I really enjoyed catching up too. And the series has been really fun for me to to hear from like some of the old homies and like learn a little bit more about the history too of some of the early Winnipeg stuff, which we kind of like, you know, we followed it, but we were, you know, followed it from afar. So it was kind of cool to hear some of the, some of the backstories and the history and some of the, the formative years there. Yeah. It's it pretty cool. It was a really fun time. The only other thing that we didn't talk about, I just got to say is like, I got to give one more shout out to Joss, to Noski, because mm-hmm. we would go early on, we would go to stay with you guys and hang out. And he had like six couches all in stacks, <laughs> every video yeah. game system. Like we had a place to crash. We'd go through, it was just a dream weekend. We'd come for the weekend <laughs> and it was like, play video games you listen to all these nonce records and some other records too and just hang out and he wore shorts every day of the year he never <laughs> he ne- like it'd be the middle of winter in saskatoon canada he's got his shorts on we'd go down to the max and get some subway sandwiches like it was just good times <laughs> like golden ear good times for you know so shout out yeah. to him but yeah. uh really fun to uh to reminisce and think about that stuff and uh hear about your process so thanks again i gotta thank and we already gave him a shout out but i gotta thank david noise 319 from ugs mag who's hosting this podcast and tirelessly um promoting it he's a great guy to work with and a real great guy to just know so if you've had that pleasure uh shout out to him i don't think he's gonna do a version of this podcast i don't think he's gonna do it I've asked hmm. him and he doesn't answer those emails. They just, he answers David. every other email. It doesn't sound like it's going to happen. <laughs> so reality is crashing in. Uh, thank you everybody for listening. And thanks again, once again, Troy, for joining me. Yeah. Thank you. Good night, everybody.